0: Disclaimer. In this story, we will be discussing murder in sometimes graphic detail. This chapter may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic.
1: Today's true crime story is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) I'm sure we've all heard of the movies, but did you know that the movies are based on true events? It's crazy.
0: In the 70s, when this one first came out, I'll say I had no idea it was based on true events. I came to
1: find out, though. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I've always wondered, do the relatives of the people who lost their lives hate these movies? Do they make The Connection? It's just crazy to make a real gory horror movie franchise off of real pain and suffering. And I've thought of that, too. Like, I've wondered that, too. But I love the movies. I really mm-hmm. do. So, I mean, here's the two sides. They make The best movies, because it comes from real pain and suffering and real fucked up shit that actually happened, but the relatives, like the ancestors, and that travels down, you just think that maybe it's a little cruel on a level. I think for the most part, they
0: shelter themselves. I don't think a lot of them enjoy the horror genre. That's true. Because of their real
1: life experiences. But I will say, after knowing all the details of, like, Ed's crimes and what he did, when watching those movies, it just makes it a little filthier. Like, it just oh, a it does, dirty. for sure. Yeah.
0: Definitely adds some macabre to it. Macabre.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So the movie more so worked on inspiration on this crime. And again, it's just weird, but like, I get it because it makes it better. And there's definitely more horror movies that get their inspiration from these crimes. It's not just Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just the most well-known kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. This case is about a serial killer named Ed Gein. Ed was seriously fucked up. (laughs) Seriously. So Ed was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin on August 27th, 1906. He had an older brother, Henry, and a mother who instilled her religion into her children. She would preach to them about how all women, besides herself, of course, are promiscuous by nature and instruments of the devil. She would read the Bible to them every day like clockwork. The family ended up moving away from La Crosse when Ed's father sold his grocery store. Kind of interesting, but apparently his father was very much the type of man who didn't just own a grocery store, but he had his hands dipped into everything to provide for the family. They moved to an isolated farm property in Plainfield, Wisconsin plain field which is ironic because it's so not plain after him ed always had a lot of chores to do around the farm which is pretty typical for a farm life so when he wasn't in school he was just doing his chores Ed was shy, and classmates and teachers remembered him as having strange mannerisms, such as seemingly random laughter, as if he were laughing at his own personal jokes, and he was actually really good at reading as well, which is a little weird, but good for him. (laughs) Um, But... More issues probably would have arisen within him, as his mother was very strict, and apparently she would actually punish him if and when he tried to make any friends. That's bizarre. It's so rude. In 1940, Ed's father, George, died at age 66 due to a mixture of problems that his alcoholism just worsened. <sighs> Following this, Ed and his brother had to start doing the odd job to support the household. They were both handymen, and the community considered them reliable and honest. Ed specifically enjoyed babysitting, and they think it's because he could better relate to children than the adults around him. Mm -hmm. Which kind of plays into a low IQ, but apparently he was good at reading. The two were older now, and Ed's brother, Henry, was starting to think for himself. He had met a divorced mother of two and started dating her. He started to make plans to move in with her, but was also worried about Ed's relationship and attachment to his mother. Henry seemed to have more of a bitterness towards their mother than Ed and would often speak badly of their mother, which Ed did not like.
0: I'm starting to hear echoes of psycho Norman Bates.
1: Norman Bates, AF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which it, it's so interesting because, especially if um, did you used to watch Bates Motel, the show? Um, I started
0: watching it from the beginning when the final season was on TV. Okay. So by the time I got through all the seasons, like basically, it was time to watch the entire final season. But yes, so I've you've seen, seen it. it all.
1: I have. So, like, literally, like, Norman's brother yeah. is older, like, literally based off of this mofo. Right. <laughs> and just like in the show, Ed, a.k.a. Norman Bates, really didn't like when, I think his name is Dylan in the show, the older brother, yes. was disrespectful to the mom. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, because it's based off of this. Which leads us into the day of May 16th, 1944. The brothers were burning away marsh vegetation on the property when the fire got out of control. The fire department arrived and got the fire out. On the same day, Ed reported his brother, Henry, missing. A search party went out for Henry, and they did find him, but he was lying face down dead. Wow. So it's a little suspicious. Mm, Just a little. Just a little bit. A little bit, yeah. At this time, a little bit. Once you know everything about Ed, it's like maybe not a little suspicious, maybe a lot suspicious. Henry had been dead for a bit, but as he did not appear burned or injured, they later ruled his death as being caused by asphyxiation. Really? So, I mean, could be, could have been from the smoke. Could have been from the smoke, but they didn't. Okay. They they didn't look into it. Right. <laughs> it was later reported by biographer Harold Schechter that Henry had bruises on his head. Hmm. Who knows if that's true, but that is what is reported. The investigators didn't do any further digging and took it as an accident just as it was reported. An autopsy was not performed. So, and I mean 1944, you could get away with murder with Henry out of the picture, it was now just Ed and his mother. His mother had a stroke shortly after Henry's death and was left paralyzed to some degree. Ed, by now, had devoted his life to taking care of her. In 1945, Ed and his mother visited a man named Smith to purchase straw. While there, Ed and his mother witnessed Smith beat a dog to death. <sighs> even as a woman from inside the home came out to yell at him to stop. Ed's mother was really upset at what was happening, but not the dog being beaten, rather the fact that the woman who came out of the house was not married to Smith and therefore a harlot. (laughs) Which is crazy. Soon after this, she had another stroke, which led to the rapid deterioration of her health. On December 29th, 1945, Ed's mother died at the age of 67. And needless to say, Ed was crushed. He was very attached and devoted to his mother. Her death was the final in his little family, leaving Ed alone. So, Norman Bates, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ed didn't consider giving up the farm. Instead, he boarded up the rooms that were used by his mom and uh, which included, like, the upstairs, the downstairs parlor, and the living room. He would leave these rooms as is and untouched, obviously holding on to his mother, like her smell and all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it. You know, you say,
0: too, like, so it's funny because sometimes you say, you'll get in my car and It'll just smell like me. I've got it a Smells smum. like mom. Yeah, got a, I've got a smell. the yeah. same with my mom. My mom has a mom smell.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's a distinct smell. It's a familiar. It's a familiar smell. smell. Yeah, totally I get it.
0: I get it, but I don't know if I'd want that. I don't know if I'd go so far as to boarding up rooms and stuff to fuck no to keep <laughs> the smell of my dead mother. Hell and no. Put like one of her shawls in a. Ziploc bag or something. <laughs>
1: Take a whiff once in a while. Keep a perfume. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the house obviously became horrible. Ed lived in a small room next to the kitchen. To keep up financially, he would continue to do odd jobs. He also received a farm subsidy from the government starting in 1951. And he also ended up selling 80 acres of land that Henry had owned before his death. Um so those other rooms were literally like stacked with filth like by the time police went through that house it was just disgusting
0: yeah i've seen um photos yeah i don't Mm -hmm. know if they're they're crime scene photos i think they are but yeah the house was disgusting Mm
1: mm-hmm but jumping ahead, on the brisk morning of November 16th, 1957, the people of Plainfield, Wisconsin had started to bundle up as snowflakes had started to fall. Plainfield, at this time, had really held up to its name. The residents were pretty chill, and nothing huge really happened in the small town. But on this day, everything changed. Mm-hmm. This was the day that the police uncovered the brutal scene that Ed Gein had left. On that same morning of November 16, 1957, Plainfield hardware store owner Bernice Warden disappeared. A Plainfield resident reported that the hardware store's truck had been driven out from the rear of the building at around 9.30 a.m. Bernice Warden's son, deputy sheriff Frank Warden, entered the store around 5 p.m. to find the store's cash register open and blood stains on the floor. Frank Warden told investigators that on the evening before his mother's disappearance, Ed had been in the store and that he was to have returned the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze. So he was told, "Come back in the morning for mm. that gallon." Right. A sales slip for the gallon of antifreeze was the last receipt written by Bernice on the morning that she disappeared. So really suspicious. And hopefully in this day and age, people know that you can't just kill somebody after buying something like, obviously, you're wow. going to go to jail. Totally different.
0: Totally, different. totally times. different time. But just
1: like imagine where yeah. they were back in the day. Like, that's just so crazy to yeah. me. They could get away with murder. Absolutely, Easily. Yeah, that's why there were
0: so many of them after this, like in the 70s and 80s. So many of them.
1: On the evening of the same day, Ed was arrested at a West Plainfield grocery store, and the Sheriff's Department searched the Gein Farm. A sheriff's deputy discovered Bernice's decapitated body in a shed on Ed's property hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. (sighs) Wow. The torso was, quote, dressed out like a deer, unquote. She had been shot with a twenty-two caliber rifle and the mutilations were made after her death. Thank God. Yeah. So he treated it like he shot a deer, essentially. Yeah. After this gruesome discovery, the authorities began searching Ed's home. And this is what they found. I'm going to go through a list of everything that they found. At this point, they're like, oh, there was a murder. Let's go see what we can find in this dude's house. And they had no idea what they were about to freaking uncover. Mm Whole human bones and fragments, a wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some with the tops sawn off, bowls made from human skulls, a corset made from a female torso skinned from shoulders to waist, Leggings made from human leg skin, oh. masks made from the skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag. Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Ed's pot-belly stove. Nine volvi in a shoebox, like the outer yeah, part yeah. of a vagina. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. Nine. Nine. A young girl's dress and, quote, the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. Eugh. A belt made from female human nipples, four noses, just a couple noses, uh, you know, some some noses, some skin, you know, this and that. This um, <laughs> is weird. Ugh. A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. <laughs> it's yeah. Fucked up. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face, and fingernails from female fingers. Yeah, and probably more, but that and that's what we got. Some
0: of the furniture is in the crime museum Mm. still to this day you can go and see that lampshade and i think a chair cover i believe the nipple belt
1: i I hope they're remakes because like i because from what i have seen and heard police took all of that and Mm. quote properly disposed of it which would have probably been cremating burning all of you would think you can
0: go to Alcatraz Island and tour this crime museum, mm-hmm. um, but you can also go online and do a virtual tour. And I'm oh, interesting. Pretty sure there's a lampshade on there, and I know for a fact that I have seen photos picture yeah. of that nipple belt.
1: Well, yeah, even the investigators' photos of all this stuff is out there too. So, like, I've yeah. definitely seen this yeah. sick shit, but well. um. But when questioned, Ed told investigators that between 1947 and 1952, he made as many as 40 nocturnal visits to three local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in a daze-like state. On about 30 of those visits, he said that he came out of the daze while in the cemetery, left the grave in good order, and returned home empty-handed. On the other occasions, he dug up the graves of recently buried middle-aged women he thought resembled his mother, Norman Bates, and took the bodies home, where he tanned their skins to make his paraphernalia. Crazy. So freaking weird. Oh, we're getting into Buffalo Bill next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So soon after his mother's death, Ed began to create a woman suit so that he could become his mother to literally crawl into her skin. And that's how he described it. Wow. Ed denied having sex with the bodies he uh, took, explaining they smelled too bad. During state crime laboratory interrogation, Ed also admitted to shooting Mary Hogan, a tavern owner missing since 1954, whose head was found in his house, but later he actually denied memory of uh, details of her death. So we don't fully know everything that happened there, but... So
0: technically, he officially, her. he killed two women, yeah. Mary
1: Hogan and admittedly he killed two women but again it's back in the day and i feel like if he's doing all this creepy weird shit and he already has two kills under his belt like what's mm. gonna stop him from doing others or yeah who knows what else he did that they didn't find
0: and about the like the having sex with the dead bodies that he exhumed Mm -hmm. i kind of i believe that he didn't because he was so i guess juvenile in his thinking i don't know I don't know, obviously, but I, I just, I don't think he was that kind of, he didn't have that, um, drive. Yeah. He didn't have that paraphilia.
1: I think that I agree. Like, I don't think that he did it and I would lean more towards that maybe because they look like his mother, he wouldn't even feel the need as well. So, a 16 year old youth whose parents were friends of Ed and who attended ball games and movies with him reported that Ed kept shrunken heads in his house, which Ed had described as relics from the Philippines sent by a cousin who had served on the islands during World War II. So, he obviously had, like, you know, an interest in this stuff, and that probably introduced him into his weird twisted interest in dead parts Mm -hmm. dead people (laughs) and after learning about the mike valleys slash ramirez case you know like yeah just learning like what happens to those heads before they even take them and the fact that they even take them like what a weird thing i can't even believe that's a thing Upon investigation by the police, these were determined to be human facial skins carefully peeled from corpses and used by Ed as masks. So he was using masks. He was, he was a weirdo. Huh. Ed was also considered a suspect in several other unsolved cases in Wisconsin, including the 1953 disappearance of Evelyn Hartley, a lacrosse babysitter. So honestly there are questions to the extent of everything that he did and i very much think that he had more more crimes
0: and i think back then it would be really easy for them to kind of pin murders on him with no proof just because of how depraved they would see that so they they would probably think you know what i mean they probably mm-hmm. think there's no way there's two of these guys out there he must have done this one too
1: yeah during questioning sheriff art sheely reportedly assaulted ed by banging his head and face into a brick wall as a result ed's initial confession was ruled as inadmissible this sheriff passed away before Ed's trial, but the people who knew him stated that Ed had traumatized him with his crimes, and it was like Art was a victim of Ed as well. On November 21st, 1957, Ed faced one count of first-degree murder where he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Ed was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent, thus unfit for trial. He was then sent to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, now the Dodge Correctional Institution, because they don't call it that no more, (laughs) which is a maximum security facility in Wisconsin. And then he was later transferred to the Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. In 1968, doctors determined Ed was mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. The trial began on November 7, 1968, and lasted one week. A psychiatrist testified that Ed had told him he did not know whether the killing of Bernice Warden was intentional or accidental. Ed had told him that while he examined a gun in Warden's store, the gun went off, killing Warden. Ed testified that after trying to load a bullet into the rifle, it discharged. He said he had not aimed the rifle at Warden and did not remember anything else that happened that morning. To me, that's hard to believe, but Mm -hmm. you know what? Who knows? Well, (laughs) you know what? If he had these blackout, like, and schizophrenia, too. Situations, totally. Yeah. At the request of the defense, Ed's trial was held without a jury. Um, Judge Robert H. Golmar presided. Ed was found guilty by Golmar on November 14th. A second trial dealt with Ed's sanity. After testimony by doctors for the prosecution and defense, Colmer ruled Ed, quote, not guilty by reason of insanity and ordered him committed to Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Just referring it to that name as, you know, that's what it was at the time. Yeah. Ed spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital. And fair. Which, fair is, like, as far as you go, he's, he's pretty crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. It's fair. It's a fair thing. But it's it's just a creepy story to have to yeah. go through. This was a dude who, if he had schizophrenia and he had these blackouts, he probably did things that he doesn't remember. And honestly, it kind of feels and seems like he doesn't remember the worst things. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what really did he all do? So- You're telling me he's putting lips on a string so that he can, yeah. he can pull his blinds up and he just wants to feel some some lips he wants to feel the lips people
0: that have <laughs> a, like personality disorder or um schizophrenia they do things that don't make sense to normal people but don't even make sense to them but they're compelled to do it it's like they're almost like robotic they're just doing these things that make no sense with no real thought behind it we don't know why they don't know why they can't verbalize why they're doing it and my thing is like he spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital so that has to tell you the level of mental illness he had but i don't think you can really um, compare it to nowadays because if somebody gets sent to a mental hospital Like, I I struggle to think of one high-profile case where somebody was found not guilty by reason of insanity and they spend the rest of their life in the mental institution. I think back to Vincent Lee, who was the one who um, beheaded and degraded that boy's body on a Greyhound bus. Yeah. And he was clearly insane. He mm-hmm. was insane. He was sent to a mental hospital, but he only served a few years there, and he got treatment, and he's out with a new identity.
1: It's same with, um, we talked about him in this story, and, you know, if you, the listeners haven't heard it, Mike Ramirez, yeah. that ep- yeah. episode, he, he was released. Yeah, like so four years soon. or something. Yeah,
0: four years. Yeah. Back then, maybe it For was shooting a little bit harder wife. to get out. But
1: some people when when you're that level of sick he didn't die down he didn't he didn't ever portray any right good the treatment behavior. wasn't working for him <laughs> yeah
0: and i like i my point is i don't think that ed Gein's crimes were any less or more heinous than vincent lee but it's a different system now than it was back then and i think maybe a little bit of fear was good for the world back then because he he was
1: made to stay there for the rest of his life so literally yeah. brought to light also the possibility that uh, people kill people and <laughs> yeah that is a and horrible quote but it's just true terrible things yep ah, so there we have it Ed Gein killed at least two people, but did a whole lot of other weird, messed up shit. Um, Gein died at the Mendota Mental Health Institute due to respiratory failure secondary to lung cancer on July 26th, 1984, at the age of 77. It's a pretty long life. Yeah, for sure. Over the years, souvenir seekers chipped pieces from his gravestone at the Plainfield Cemetery until the stone itself was stolen in 2000. It was recovered in June 2001 near Seattle, Washington, and was placed in storage at the Sheriff's Department. The gravesite itself is now unmarked, but not unknown, as Ed is between his parents and brother in the cemetery. Mm. Which makes me wonder, did nobody try to steal those ones? They just wanted Ed's. Yeah, very interesting. Now, this guy has obviously given inspiration to Hollywood, and we've kind of talked about a few of these. Now that I've gone through all of his crimes, I'm going to point out some of the horror movie parallels, starting with the classic horror flick, Psycho, which... Norman Bates, Bates Motel, but originally Psycho. Mm -hmm. And then just speaking of the ones that I know of, and again, we kind of uh, mentioned, there's the Rob Zombie films, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects, and then Silence of the Lambs, you know, Buffalo Bill, we talked about that one, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course, and like just so many others. Yeah. Any, I mean, he inspired probably a Hundreds, I'd say. Yeah. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, if anything else uh, comes to mind to any of the listeners, any movies that like have some uh, interesting parallels, be sure to let us know.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod
1: at gmail.com. I'm free, and I'm short, and we'll see you on the next chapter.